Ryan in the shotgun. Snelling stands to his left. Julio Jones goes in motion left to right. Matty Ice calls for the football. Looks to his right. Throws back at the end zone. Broken up! Beautifully! Jabari Greer slaps it away from... What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast. Episode number 28. It is November 13th, 2012 here in Buffalo, New York. Got a great show lined up for you today. Aaron Schatz from FootballOutsiders.com is going to join us. And I thought be the perfect guy to have on because like our boy, Kerry, uh, Aaron kind of studies the league from a statistical viewpoint. Right. And... I figured statistical viewpoints are kind of on fire right now with the night that Nate Silver had on election night. So I said, let's get Aaron shots, and, and Aaron's going to join us. A um, couple pieces of business before we get going today. Uh, first thing is I want to thank Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com for being on the show last week. And I also want to thank him for helping us completely burn a bridge at ESPN. We really appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, no, it's kind of a joke, but serious in the same sense. I, I do want to apologize uh, wholeheartedly um, to the ESPN staffer that we talked about last week, and I hope that he understands that it was a conversation that got taken out of context a little bit, and uh, we really do appreciate all the work that he's done for us in the past. Right. So thank you, and we're sorry, basically. I totally blame Richard Deitch. Yes, so do I. <laughs> Freaking Richard Deitch. <laughs> he busts our balls the whole interview and then gets us in trouble. The good news is, is like all the bosses love the Richard Deitch interview, though. Yeah. So at least. He's fun. He's, he is a fun guy. Uh, also, I wanted to mention uh, season three, episode three of the Sportscasters. Um, I wanted to mention something about it. First, we have interviews with Greg, Greg Wyshynski, Puck Daddy. It's a hockey interview. And we have an interview with a guy who wrote a book about uh, Bryce Harper. His name is Rob Mish. But. The interesting thing to football fans is we also interviewed a guy named Ben Austin who wrote an article for Grantland.com about the Bills and the kind of connection that the Bills and Buffalo have. And uh, if you're interested, if you read that article or you're interested in hearing more about it, you can go to our website, www.sports-casters.com, or you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And uh, I just wanted to mention that because that interview – uh, will be of particular interest uh, to sports fans. Yeah, if you're not uh, football fans, if you're in Buffalo and you haven't read it, then shame on you because it's like a history of the city you grew up in and through told- the football team. Right, it's great. Yeah, really good. So, uh, all right, we got a lot to do today. Like I said, we have an interview with Aaron Schatz. We have an email later. We are going to play one last thing, like we always do, to close the show. You're Steve. I'm Steve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't do that, did we? No. No. Uh, I'm the host, Steve Bennett, and uh, co-host is Don Russ. Don? Hey, we're here. Way to be there. Way to be there. I <laughs> yeah. appreciate that. All right, let's get started. Let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just 
We started something another a uh, couple weeks ago on this and the other podcast we do over at sports-casters.com where rather than doing a recap of the the week that was in both we're going to look ahead in one week or look ahead on one podcast and look at the week that was on the other because of when the Football Nation podcast typically gets uploaded most of the time we're going to be previewing the following week because sometimes it's as late as Thursday and you're already got a game coming up so last week's old news but if you want to listen to the week that was in review from Steve and my viewpoint go check it out at sportscasters.com for our first thing on this podcast at Football Nation we're going to talk about the week that is starting with uh my Buffalo Bills yeah fun night for the city this week yeah our first Thursday game I think for them uh rivalry game I mean the Bills season might feel like it's over but I mean I guess you went out you got a chance still and you might as well start against your old rival the Dolphins and I know the city's excited for this game still, regardless of the three and six record. It's an even game. I, I don't know how I expect it to go, but uh, CJ Spiller is going to get a lot of carries. So fantasy players, uh, Jackson looks hurt. Spiller looks great all year long when he gets touches. So I'll be rooting for the Bills uh, in the short term. In the long term, I'm not so sure I want them to win many more games, though. Yeah, um, one thing about looking forward to this week, and you're going to talk more about it in a second. It's just that a lot of games are questionable in terms of who's going to be playing in them, especially at the quarterback position, and Don's going to talk more about that with his second thing. But um, some of the more interesting games this week, Packers and Lions is a big game, especially yeah. for the Lions. Uh, I think you mentioned on the other podcast the first time they've played since Sue stomped, stomped on, on one of the Packers. Right. Um, Eagles and Redskins, probably, I mean, if these teams haven't been eliminated yet. It's definitely an elimination game with both of them being three and six. A huge game in the AFC West uh, between the Chargers and the Broncos. If yeah. the Bro- if the Chargers want to win the division, they have to win this week against the Broncos. They've already lost to them once. Uh, if they lose to them twice, they're going to be down uh, three games. Colts Patriots is an interesting game. Uh, both teams with identical records. Both teams. Colts probably can't win that division. I mean. They're only two games behind Houston, but they're they're not going to catch them. Uh, the Patriots look like they're going to coast to their division title, but uh, a game with some wild card implications if the Colts are to hang on to a wild card spot. And it looks like there's no reason to think they can at this point. And it's going to really be interesting to see how Luck reacts to playing Brady. Right. You know, I mentioned on the other show that he has a chance to distinguish himself from Manning a little bit if he can get success against Brady. Yeah, Because generally Belichick, speaking, right. Brady and Belichick always got the best in Manning, generally speaking. Um, Raven-Steelers, another divisional game. Yep, but who's gonna, is Ben going to be right. there? I don't right. know. And uh, the Monday night game, again, another, another real smash mouth. Should be a great game, but we, we don't know who's playing in that one really either right now. Other than that, it's not a great week. We talked all about last week how good it was for rivalry games this past weekend and big important games. And I mean, every game is important in the NFL. Blah blah blah. But not a lot of uh, it's a lot of it seems like interconference games and games that there's only three games that feature two teams with winning records. Yeah. So Colts, Patriots, Ravens, Steelers, and Bears, Forty ers are the only three games that feature teams with winning records. Playing. Yeah. So I guess 
Maybe there's the opportunity for some trap games out there. I definitely think Oakland is a potential trap for the Saints. I know Oakland's been playing very poorly, but that just feels icky to me. Can you call? Can you call any game against the Cowboys? Are the Cowboys good enough to have trap games? I guess if the Saints are, then the Cowboys <laughs> are because they have yeah, the that, same record. That's true. I mean that that's potentially a trap game. The Browns, uh, Browns are a team to me that I think are a little better than their record. Uh, they, they've got some young talent. Their defense is solid, and the Cowboys just shouldn't take anybody for granted. But maybe the Browns give them a game there. I don't know. Do you think that the Chiefs or Jaguars have a chance to get to a second win? This week? Not the Jags. Not the Jaguars. They play the Texans. The Chiefs maybe have one of their best chances to win this season at home against the uh, Bengals. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals, that might be the definition of a trap game, I suppose. The Chiefs played a really strong game at Pittsburgh, so if they have anything in the tanks, I mean, if they don't just wilt from playing a decent game and losing, uh, the Bengals played and blew out the Giants, so maybe the Giants, Bengals are a little high. After, I, I don't know. The Chiefs probably won't get the three wins. They play Cincinnati this week, then Denver, then Carolina and Cleveland. Probably, Actually, they have a three-game stretch of Carolina, Cleveland, and Oakland, and then they finish with Indianapolis and Denver. So if they don't, you've got to figure they're going to lose both the Denver games, the Indianapolis game, and let's say for argument's sake they win the Cincinnati or lose the Cincinnati game. How many of those three games in the middle there do you think they can win? Home against Carolina, at Cleveland, and at Oakland. Two, maybe? So two. I just just don't think they're – I mean, they could win all three. The reason I'm asking is just to try to get a better handle on who might have the first pick. Right. I mean – The Jaguars play Houston this week, then Tennessee, then at Buffalo, and they're home against the Jets, and they play Miami, then they're going to New England, and they play Tennessee. So two games against Tennessee, one game against Buffalo, one game against New York. It might be a little easier for the Jaguars to blow the first pick than it will be for the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Chiefs are looking like if they want a shot at another USC quarterback, they might get it. I'm not sure if Barkley will be worthy of the number one overall pick, but I'm guessing if the Chiefs, I'm guessing no matter where the Chiefs end up picking this year, it's going to be a quarterback. I think they have to address that. I heard a stat about how the Chiefs haven't had a quarterback they drafted win a game for them since Todd Blackledge did it in, like, 1987. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. So people think the Bills do a bad job at drafting quarterbacks. It might be time for the Chiefs to draft one. Yeah. Um, I guess we're moving on. At this point, my second thing this week, we kind of danced around it a little bit, but last this past week four starting quarterbacks got hurt and it looks like they all might be significant. Uh, ben Roethlisberger. His looks to be the most serious. Yeah, I they're think. saying he could miss significant time. Uh, shoulder sprain, I believe they call yes, it. Yes, a source says he could be out a while and that his while, injury right. is significant. I'm not sure if it's his throwing shoulder or if that makes a difference. It I is. imagine it would. Yeah, it's yep. his throwing shoulder. And ribs. Cutler, Mike Vick, and Alex Smith all suffered concussions. And those can be tricky. I heard that Vick... His concussion was considered to be very serious. His was bad enough that he didn't get back in the game. He didn't fail whatever the baseline testing they do to get guys back in. It, it doesn't sound like any of these guys are going to start. Alex Smith might be the most up in the air. I'm not sure I've heard much on him yet, but he wasn't able to get back into his game either. Uh, and, again, that's what made some of those games, like that Cutler-Chicago-San uh, Francisco game, looks like a marquee matchup on paper, but now you're going to get the – Jason Campbell, Colin Kaepernick 
show. So, again, if you're a fantasy player and you've got any other defenses, holy cow, start them because that might that might be an ugly field goal. Festa- you think the defenses in that game outscore the offenses? They might. They, they, they Probably pretty rare for that to happen, but that might be one of those games. All right, my second thing today, I don't like to say I told you so, but I got to tell you I told you so about this. Back in the summer, Adrian Peterson got arrested, and yeah. we talked on this show about how we just didn't believe it, that it just didn't seem right, it didn't add up. One of those guys you just kind of... I know we don't kind of know. It, I know we don't know these guys, uh, but you know I've been watching Adrian Peterson play football since he's 18 years old at the University of Oklahoma, and I just I didn't believe it. And uh, he appeared today um, in court in Texas somewhere, and uh, he texted, "Thank they dropped the charges, thank God." Uh, so this is over. Uh, he was arrested July 7th outside a nightclub. Uh, charges are dropped. Um, Peterson was due in court for a pretrial hearing on Thursday, but that's obviously not going to happen now. Yeah, they basically and they they kind of came out. I say they. The media asked him if he plans like any sort of countersuit or anything like that, and he, in his typical classy way, just says he's. He's playing football right now. Focusing on football. He's yeah. not worrying and about it. They'll think about it in February. But, boy, if that is true, man, what a scummy move by the cop or whoever to claim. Yeah, sometimes what? cops uh, or anyone. Right, sometimes right, Sometimes right. people are looking to, See to get a name for themselves right. and off of someone else. and That's why it's tough sometimes to be in the fishbowl that you put yourself in when you live a public life. Right. Kind of like for us, the sportscasters, now that we do this <laughs> podcast, we live a very public life, and oh, I mean, yeah. things are difficult. I can't even go to the supermarket. No. Um, Adam Sheehan of SNY Network. The, has, that's the Mets Regional Sports Network. Has a tweet or, regarding A.J. Green. A.J. Green quotes here from Adam Sheehan's tweet. Sorry, that's confusing. Uh, Green on not looking past the Chiefs. Quote, we lost to freaking Cleveland. <laughs> and Adam Sheen says, I love A.J. Green. And it's hard to not love that comic because, boy, that's bulletin board material. But I guess uh, when it's Cleveland, who cares? Like, yeah. How scared are they going to be? But A.J. Green uh, is not looking past the Chiefs because, quote, we lost to freaking Cleveland. That's awesome. How good is A.J. Green, by the way? He's incredible. He looks like when Ocho Cinco came into the league to me, he just that tiny, scrawny little guy. Like, you're worried he's going to get broken in half on every play, but... Boy, he just—he's incredible, and he's the only one out there, really. Like, they, it's not an overly talented offense, but nobody can cover him, apparently. Yeah, he was the fourth pick in round one of the 2011 draft, which was the draft that the Bills picked right before and took Marcel Darius. Yeah. As a Bills fan, would you have preferred at, right now if you could change it? Would you? Sure. I mean, Green is looking like a perennial all-star and Darius is, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I'd given up on him, but he's a question mark at best. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. That was the one that Damashek said the bill should have taken Von Miller, even though right. he's drafted they didn't the have pick the before. Chance, right. So yeah. So it went Newton Miller, then the bills took Darius. And then the next three, four picks, I'll say bills fans maybe would rather have AJ green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, and Alden Smith. Yeah, Alden Smith is the big one. I think, I mean, Sure, the receivers uh, are nice, but that's an impact position, and he's phenomenal, and it's a position of weakness for the Bills. And Not that receiver isn't, but I don't know. 
draft a quarterback and all this stuff doesn't matter. All right, my third story today. We don't talk as much college football on this podcast as we would like, but I thought it was worth mentioning that the number one team in the country, Alabama, lost on Saturday to Texas A&M. Yep. And a guy that NFL fans should get on their radar now, uh, the quarterback for Texas A&M, Goes by Johnny Football, and he looks like he could be the real deal. Uh, certainly a guy we'd like to know more about, but unfortunately Texas A&M has a really old rule that says that freshmen can't talk to the media. Really? Yeah, so we haven't heard much from Johnny Football yet, but um, Alabama lost, and what that means, a, a couple things. For now, they're out of the national championship picture, and with them being out of the national championship picture... It also eliminates the SEC, who's won the national championship every year since Texas won it in 2006, the famous uh, Vince Young-USC game. Right, right. Uh, so the SEC is, is gone. And then the second thing is there's no playoff this year. That's obviously still coming. And now there's three undefeated teams left for two spots in the national championship game. And if you're a big Notre Dame fan like our boss, Kerry J. Byrne, is, they might be disappointed because it appears the way things are shaking out, there's not much that Notre Dame can do if Kansas State and Oregon win out. Uh, however, Kansas State does still have to play Texas, who has played much better uh, since they got dominated by Oklahoma at the uh, middle of October. Yeah, I gave one last week. I'll give one again. I'm not shy about saying i get a lot of my show prep from the site reddit uh so my fun reddit stat of the week uh philly fans or philadelphia fans cover your ears uh the phillies the baseball phillies right have won a game more recently than the football eagles ouch the phillies beat the nationals on october 1st the eagles beat the giants on september 30th oh bad bad team there and uh we could almost play a, a funeral song there for uh what's his name andy reed yeah that's sad a, sad end to his sad end to his career there because but it, he's on borrowed time right now all right well that's going to do it for three things today uh what we're going to do is we're going to take a break we're going to come back we're going to interview aaron schatz from football outsiders uh once that's done we'll be back and we're going to do some email and uh we're also going to do one last thing so we'll be right back with aaron schatz <laughs> All right, our guest today is from the state of Massachusetts and is a graduate of Brown University. He's the editor-in-chief of the Football Outsiders website, and he has had his work appear at ESPN.com and ESPN the magazine, and in 2011, he was a regular panelist on ESPN2's show, Numbers Never Lie. Uh, we're very lucky to have him on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Aaron Schatz. What's going on, Aaron? That is the first time I've ever been introduced with the Brown uh, fight song. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Uh, there is uh, my brother. Is, he plays D1 hockey at Yale, but uh, one of his teammates is currently a D1 hockey at Brown. 
Yeah, that's 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 excellent. Yeah, you know what? Uh, we we play that that song before hockey a little bit more often than we do before football. I I did not go to a football school. I went to those one of those rare northeastern schools where hockey is the number one sport, <laughs> not football. But, that's right. Uh, it, it didn't change me any. So band band in the stands every week, right? Yeah, we every got every game. I think we have more guys in the NHL than we do in the NFL, but I will always remember a couple of years ago when Brown had more pro bowlers than USC. More pro bowlers? Because there was a year that Sean Morey was the uh, NFC special teams pro bowler, and then, you know, the kicker and the punter get to get together and decide which one of them brings the long snapper. <laughs> and so that year, Jeff Fiegels won out and brought Zach Diossi as the long snapper, and the only USC Pro Bowler that year was Troy Palomalo. So technically, <laughs> Brown had more Pro Bowlers than USC. You know, I have to admit that when you first said that, I meant I thought you meant PBA players. Oh, not Pro Bowlers, <laughs> no Pro Bowlers. You know, like yeah. guys in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. But I just... well, you think I know nothing about hockey? I really know nothing about professional bowling. Well, me neither. I know there's that one guy that does the crotch chop who's got a yeah, dad, yeah. dad, right? Better to talk football. I think I know more about that. All right. Well, the first thing I, I, th- I think I, I have to ask you, I think that the number of people who exist in this column is dwindling each year, but if some of our listeners don't know what Football Outsiders is or why it's different from the average NFL site, would you want to give them a, a short synopsis of what you guys do there? Sure, sure. If you like uh, NFL sites with lots of green in the background, then Football Outsiders is for you. Uh, that's not really the thing that differentiates <laughs> us, though. Uh, we're known primarily for our advanced statistics. That's how I started um, nine years ago, was doing advanced statistics that broke down the play-by-play, tried to filter out context, uh, sort of get a more, you know, quote-unquote, sabermetric view of football, similar to what Bill James had done in uh, baseball. We've expanded over the years, though, to where we have uh, some college analysis, we have scouting columns. Uh, we try to just put it all together into the most intelligent analysis of football that's out there. We like to pride ourselves as being the website where nobody says in the message boards, my team rules with nine <laughs> Zs at the end. So before we really get into the football stuff, I have a question to ask you. I'm not really sure if you thought of it or not. But uh, what, two weeks ago now, a guy named Nate Silver uh, predicted that the presidential election would go a certain way based on his statistical analysis. And it turned out he got 44, 44 states correctly. And it seemed like the respect for numbers and using numbers to predict outcomes went way up. Do you think that what you do using numbers to predict outcomes will get a bump from Nate Silver's success? Well, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, it was a good defense of what we do. I know Nate well. Uh, we used to work together when uh, he was the vice uh, president of financials, whatever you call it, for the Baseball Prospectus organization. And uh, we used to write a book that we was co-branded with them. So it's, it's a little weird to me that this guy that I used to work with is suddenly super famous. And I should also say that he's not the only person out there who does pull aggregation and regression. There are some other really good ones. Sam Wong is a good example, a guy from Princeton. Um, But it did seem like the concept of statistical analysis was under fire. It was remarkable how the criticism of Nate was 
amazingly similar to the criticism that we all get as sports stats guys, you know, ranging from the worthwhile criticism of, I don't like this certain thing about his model, to the ridiculous criticism of, uh, he's gay and he lives in his mom's basement. Um, so I think it's good for all of us who like to do believe in analytics to uh, that things worked out. Now, the interesting thing is this. In, in a way, uh, his model is harder to test than, than ours. You know, let's say I predict games every week against the spread as part of our premium product. So there's 16 games a week for me to test with. He gets one test every four, four years, years yeah. if you're only considering the top line of who wins the presidency. But on the other hand, he's working with a far greater number of samples than we are. Okay, if he's wrong, he can be wrong on thousands of voters and still be basically right. But in football or baseball or you know one or two weird bounces of the ball go the other way, and uh, and suddenly our prediction turns out that the team we thought that the team we thought had the better chance loses. You know, I mean, if we, you know, if if, if um. If the Patriots and Giants had played the Super Bowl in 2000, the 2007 Super Bowl, and instead of 160 plays or whatever during the game, there had been, say, 45 million, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Patriots would have won. Right. Um, you know, and there, there's 45 million voters. So in a way, what he does is actually a little easier than what we do or what baseball guys do any sports because sports has much more of an element of randomness. 45 million plays. That would have been one hell of a Super Bowl Sunday, huh? That would have been a long, long game. Yeah. Uh, one. All right, let's get into it here. I, that was very interesting, though, I thought about the silver thing. Maybe a little bit of a stretch by me, but I was just curious to get your opinion. Uh, one thing that we've struggled with on the show this year in terms of trying to figure out this league is it seems like looking at a team's record isn't enough to figure out exactly what kind of team they are. It seems like this year, and I might just be it might just be a feeling more than a fact, and that's why we called you. Um, this year, more than ever, it seems like sometimes four and five teams aren't what they feel like, and six and three teams aren't what they feel like. You guys use DVOA, correct? To uh, that is our stat, right? Where we right. take every single play. And uh, look at its success compared to similar plays that are ba- based on situation and opponent. Uh, and you're right. Okay, first of all, wins and losses are not really the best way to judge teams anyway. Right? I w- remember I was just talking about sample size with numbers of plays and numbers of voters or whatever. Okay, well, it's a lot. You're going to get a much more accurate picture of a team if you look at the hundreds of plays they run every year than if you look only at 16 binary win or loss decisions. Uh, Not always binary, as St. Louis and San Francisco learned this week, but for the most part. Uh, But this year, even more than normal, we have seen a lot of very close losses by good teams. Uh, New England being a great example that they've lost three games by a combined four points. And so that is leading to a situation where uh, ranking the team simply by wins this year, you do not at all get a look, really, at who the best teams are in the league. I mean, right now, we have our ratings. Uh, teams 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6 have 6 wins, while the teams that have 7 or 8 wins are ranked 5th, 7th, 8th, and 11th. Interesting. So, 
so far your numbers haven't exactly latched on in an elite sense to the Houston's, Baltimore's, and Atlanta's of the world, especially Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Especially Atlanta, which we had ninth when they were 8-0. We now have them 11th. They are a good team, but not a great one. They really have trouble running the ball. They have trouble defending the run. And both their passing game and their pass defense have declined over the course of the year from where they were in the first few weeks. Um, so that is that is definitely a team that is not as good as its record. Uh, they were, last week, the worst 8-0 team we had ever tracked, and our numbers go back 21 years. Wow. Is home field advantage a myth? No, no. Home field advantage is real, absolutely. Um, the, the, it's hard to know why it exists. One of the big reasons it exists is that referees tend to call more penalties on, on road teams than home teams, likely because of subconscious, you know, they're subconsciously affected by right. the crowd. Uh, I doubt it. You know, it's, it's not conscious, but it's just part of being human. Uh, are there other things that go into home field advantage? Probably. I will say this, that I do believe that in general, home field advantage, no one team probably has a much larger home field advantage than any other. And teams being specifically good at home in one or two years is, is a silly measurement. Uh, now, if a certain team is better at home than they are on the road compared to other teams over a long period of time, then maybe that team does have an advantage. I will say that the teams with the biggest home field advantage over the last 10 years uh, are all four NFC West teams. Those are the teams that most of all play better at home than they do on the road more than any other team. But, you know, just because, you know, the Saints last year were really good at home and people were like, oh, you can't beat the Saints at home. The funny thing is, over the last decade, the Saints have one of the worst home field advantages in the league. It was just one year that it was really good last year. Right, yeah, 9-0 and last year at home in the Superdome. Uh, is there a let me ask you about Seattle because Seattle's a team, six and four, rookie quarterback. It seems like their season has been a little bit up and down. Maybe got a benefit of a great call um, against Green Bay earlier in the season. They can't, they come in at number three in your rankings. What is it about your analysis that makes Seattle stick out as the best team <laughs> in the NFC? Actually, yeah, since they should actually be five and five, uh, this is, I believe, the first week that they are ahead of Green Bay, the team that they beat by not beating. Right. Um, but Seattle, Seattle. I, w- one thing I should say is teams two through six in our numbers are very tight together. So in reality, our numbers aren't saying that, that Seattle is really better than Green Bay or Chicago or San Francisco. The teams are very, very tight. Uh, but the thing about Seattle is that Um, They've played a tough schedule so far. They've had a poor record of fumble recovery. Um, You know, they've gotten some bad bounces. So they're a better team than their record would indicate, even though they have one more win than they should really have. Um, uh, They've played played well. They're they're very strong on on defense. They're number three in our defensive ratings. Um, strong against both the run and the pass. On offense, our offensive ratings, they're 13th. They're actually better running than they are passing, and they're better both passing and rushing than they are overall, but they end up lower overall because they run more than most teams. And the fact is almost every team in the NFL is better passing the ball than they are running the ball. So teams that run the ball more will actually end up 
being less efficient on offense because passing is generally so much more efficient than running, even when you got beast mode carrying the ball for you. Right. One thing I've always loved about the site is the idea that you guys will look for something that might be a statistical anomaly, and then you'll study it either for an article on the website or maybe for a chapter in the annual Football Outsiders Almanac. And one thing that I know has gotten a lot of attention this year is the inability of the Philadelphia Eagles to recover a fumble. Are there any other similar statistical anomalies that you guys have your eyes on that are playing out on the field as we speak that could be articles on the website or chapters in the Almanac next year? I mean, nothing strikes me per se. I will say, you know, the fumbles thing is something we've been writing about for years. There is no such thing as the ability to recover fumbles. There just isn't. Um, individually, fumble recoveries are, are very good plays. But a fumble recovery is not at all an indicator of whether you will recover more fumbles in the future. Now, I mean, stripping the ball is an indicator of whether you'll cause more fumbles in the future. Uh, but recovering it is not an indicator of anything. So Philly's luck recovering fumbles is, is no, by no means the worst in the league this year, actually. It pales in comparison to Kansas City. Hmm. Kansas City has fumbled the ball 16 times on offense and recovered three. They've caused six fumbles on defense and recovered one. Wow. That's really remarkable. <laughs> Denver is almost that bad. Denver's got 12 fumbles on offense and they've recovered two. They've caused 12 on defense and only recovered four. So Philly's not even the worst of it when it comes to this, uh, when it comes to this, uh, this trend. Interesting. Um, one of the other great things about the site is uh, your DVOA playoff odds report. Uh, most teams have played nine games, some 10. Where do you want to be right now in terms of percentages to make the playoffs to feel comfortable if you're a fan base of a team on this list? Well, I mean, how comfortable do you feel? You know, there's no magic line. An 80% probability is a 10% higher than a 70% probability, and a 90% probability is 10% higher than that. Right. Um, there have not been many years where things were as stratified as they are this year. Okay, the fact is we right now have 11, no, t- sorry, 10 teams, 10 teams with an 80% better or better chance of making the playoffs. Okay, it's very rare that at this point you would have teams, 10, t- 10 teams that were effectively, you know, almost guaranteed playoff spots. Um, and, you know, the last two spots that are open are, one of them is basically just between two teams, and that's the NFC East, which is about two-thirds likely to be the Giants and one-third the Cowboys. And that just leaves the AFC second wild card as sort of the last spot up in the air. So things are pretty set at this point. Is there a team that you think that would fall outside of the pretty set at this point that can make a run? Well, I mean, you know, lots of teams will make a run at that second wild card. I mean, it's, it's really remarkable this year the way the AFC is split. We have uh, five AFC teams in the top 12, and then the other 11 AFC teams are all at 18th or below. And that includes Indianapolis, which despite their 6-3 and three record, it's really not a very good team. They've had a lot of close wins over bad opponents, and their schedule is about to get harder. Uh, the one te- you know, so that we have them about 50-50 to make that last wild card spot, and then some chance for Cincinnati, and a little for Buffalo, and a little for Miami, and a little for San Diego. Um, you know, the one thing I team, team I think is really hot right now would be Dallas. 
even though they've lost two of their last three games, they've come out with very good ratings in our numbers in the last three games, and they play a much easier schedule the rest of the way than they have so far. Um, they're 18th in our non-adjusted ratings, which do not count for strength of schedule, but they're 10th in the adjusted ratings. In the adjusted ratings, they are actually higher right now than Atlanta. Wow. Is strength of schedule what sinks Minnesota for you? Because I've never seen... For the a, second half of the yeah, season? Yeah, I've never seen... Yeah, they have the hardest remaining schedule in the league. That's incredible. Because their remaining schedule includes Chicago twice, Green Bay twice, Houston. and Houston. It's yeah. a little absurd. Yeah, I've never... I can't remember seeing one that difficult. Uh, the sportscasters are here with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Just a couple minutes left. You can find the website, www.footballoutsiders.com. Tons of great information. Every year, I highly recommend the Football Outsiders Almanac. Um... You can buy it for uh, PDF files, which makes it really convenient to pick up, especially in this day of e-readers. Um, a couple last quick things. Denver seems like a team that, no matter what chart I'm looking at, is really high on the on the list. What is it about Denver that your numbers like so much? Yeah, we, they're number one. They're number one for us uh, after their big win this week. Uh, they're a very well-rounded team. The defense has improved a lot. Last year, that was an overrated defense. They were an average defense that really people thought was better than it really was. But this year, they're the fourth-best defense in the league. It's kind of hard to identify where the improvement came from, uh, you know, because they're, they've you know, been missing their best linebacker for most of the year. They, um, Champ Bailey keeps getting older. Tracy Porter's really not that good that they added as a, as a free agent. But, you know, we knew they had a good pass rush, but they're just playing very, very well. And, of course, the offense with Paid Manning is very, very good. And so and their special teams are also in our top ten. So they're a very well-rounded team. They are uh, the only team right now that ranks in our top ten in all three aspects of the game. Do you do anything – do you analyze the opposite of playoff odds in terms of trying to figure out what team is most likely to be on the clock when the season ends? Yeah, at the bottom of the playoff odds report page, which is at oh, there it is, right there. .com the slash stats slash playoff odds, it does give the odds for teams getting the number one pick in the draft or a top three pick. So right now we have Jacksonville 49%, Kansas City 30 Cleveland 10 and then a few other teams have some small odds. Very cool. Well, It's going to be tough for Jacksonville because they are going to have to decide whether they're sticking with Gabbard here or not. It actually becomes a little easier for them that Geno Smith has declined a little bit because they may not feel the pressure to take a quarterback. You know, as bad as the quarterback situation is there, the defensive line situation is just as bad, and there's a lot of good defensive linemen in this draft. All right, last thing. Sometimes when I'll do an interview with, let's say, John Wertheim about tennis, I feel like I can take it to a certain point and do a pretty good job, but it, it always feels like I'm missing something. And I'm kind of new uh, to this kind of analysis of football, and I feel like I've gotten this interview to a certain point. But if I'm missing something about Football Outsiders and what you study and something that might be a real relevant piece of information for our listeners, what, what is it? What did I miss? Well, I mean, we've talked a lot, we've talked a lot here about numbers and overall rankings uh, because that's sort of my forte. But uh, football, obviously, is more than that. A lot of football is about matchups of specific players, um, and uh, scouting and stats definitely go hand in hand. So I would say for people who like intelligent football discussion, uh, what we do is not just stats, but we've got a lot of good scouting stuff. Andy Benoit started writing for us this year. He's been writing about the NFL uh, basically since he was a fetus. 
Um, he knows his stuff very well. And Ben Muth writes an offensive line column for us every week. He was uh, all Pac-10 left tackle at Stanford, played uh, under Jim Harbaugh a few years ago. And so he gives the intricacies of offensive line play. And so, you know, when you read our site, you can pick those things up as well as the stats. And often the stats and the, and the scouting work together. Um, you know, for example, this week we did our Any Given Sunday column, which is our column we do every week about the, the biggest um, upset of the week, and we talked about what happened with the Saints and the Falcons. And then we showed some photos from the All-22 film of how Jimmy Graham got open. So, you know, the numbers can tell you about how important Jimmy Graham is and how much value he has. And then the pictures and the scouting can show you just how he makes that happen. Yeah, well, that, that All-22 film is beautiful, huh? Hasn't it been wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been fighting for that for a long time. No it's kidding. beautiful that it's now available. God bless Game Rewind. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. We really appreciate it. All right. Hope people check out the site, footballoutsiders.com, and, uh, and uh, enjoy it. Thank you. All right, we got to thank Aaron Schatz for being on the show with us today. Don and I were just kind of talking about Schatz, 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 Schatz. I think, sure yeah, shots. I think it's Schatz, right? Yeah. So we screwed that up before. Get off our back. <laughs> it's just our accent. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> don't forget you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, we have an email to read in a second that we got from a listener, and your email could be read next week if you Email us. Very exciting. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can submit questions there. And you should also follow our friends at Football Nation, and they're at FBall Nation on Twitter. Don't forget to check out Season 3, Episode 3 of the Sportscasters, featuring interviews with Greg Wyshynski, Rob Mish, and Ben Austin. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, that Ben Austin interview should be of special interest for football fans because he wrote a column for grantland.com about the bills and the relationship that the bills have with the city of buffalo and the interview is just an extension of that article and definitely would interest anyone who's read the article and enjoyed it Uh, you can find that at www.sports-casters.com you can find it on itunes or on stitcher radio don't forget this podcast uh you can listen to any previous episode by going to www.footballnation.com, then clicking on the podcast tab at the top of the screen, and you should be easily able to find our old podcasts, including last week's controversial interview with Richard Deitch. We've also had Peter King and a bunch of other great guests in the past, and you're more than welcome to listen back if you'd like. Uh, our podcast can be found at footballnation.com and also on iTunes and podomatic.com. All right, that's all the business for today. Uh, email. Stephen Don, with all the injuries to quarterbacks this week, it got me thinking, what team would suffer the most if they lost their QB for the season? The easy, easy answer should be Brady, but the Pats went 11-5 and when he went down on opening day. Love the show, Tommy from Chicago. So hmm. What do you think, Don? I, to the- me, it's hard for me to not say Breeze and the Saints. Um. I think that 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the Saints could survive a month maybe without Breeze because of the work that Breeze has done with Chase Daniel mm-hmm. and the amount of time that Chase Daniel spent in the system and standing on the sidelines looking at Polaroids with Breeze. I think that in a pinch they could maybe go two and two in a four game stretch. Right. But I don't think there's any player in the league who's more valuable to his team than Breeze and the Saints, but I might be too close to it. Yeah, it depends when you're taking the question from. If you take the question from today, then I don't think they could afford to lose Breeze. If you're talking from the start of this season, how much worse would they have been record wise? I mean they Well, Owen four doesn't get much worse than Owen four. <laughs> right, right. right. So there was also a lot of other factors involved, like not having Sean right. Payton. But now and, that they're looking like they could maybe challenge for a wild card spot, then right, Breeze is a good one. I, I think Brady is a good answer. I know they had that one year. They did miss the playoffs that year, even at yeah, eleven, at 11 and five, and five. So. that's tough. Not, I mean, the AFC was pretty top-heavy then. Maybe they were just beating up on bad teams. I mean, Matt Castle has shown he's not a superstar. Uh, I don't have a list of the teams in front of yeah, me. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings here. I could say as a negative Bills fan, it's definitely not the Bills. I think the Bills would lose their quarterback and probably lose nothing. And actually, that should be the subject of my one more thing, but it's not. Uh, they are hiding Fitzpatrick. or They are covering for Fitzpatrick. by They traded for... Tavarius Jackson in the offseason, yep. he hasn't even been active in a game yet. And the only reason that makes sense and to avoid controversy. is to avoid controversy. Yeah. They're not activating him because they don't want him to get into a game and potentially look good on a drive or two. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay jumps out. They got away with it last year for one game, but they had Matt Flynn. They don't have Matt Flynn anymore. Right. How would Green Bay do without Aaron Rodgers? That one jumps out. Yeah, the easy answer is are really the superstar quarterbacks. I mean, those teams are built around those quarterbacks. Yeah, look what happened in Indianapolis last year when they lost Peyton. Right, they were terrible. I mean, the bottom fell out. Maybe you could argue Denver. Uh, right, what would happen if they lost Peyton now? Right. Um, it's teams that are offense-heavy. T- maybe Green Bay is the best answer because their defense isn't that good. I mean, their defense is good at hitting the quarterback now and again, but overall they're just not a great defense. But really interesting question. Thank you very much, Tommy from Chicago, for submitting that. I'm going to stick with Breeze and the Saints as my answer. It sounds like you're going to go with Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, I might. Yeah, I I think so, yeah. No love for uh, Kevin Cobb and uh, (laughs) Arizona. No, no love for Kevin Cobb. No Sanchez in New York. Russell Wilson, no. 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 Russell, he might not be bad, but. No, they got he, Flynn he, he waiting in the okay. backgrounds there. That's right. They got a lot of backups there. They they had like four quarterbacks there at one time. All right. One last thing. Go ahead, Don. All right. One more thing. I got a quote here from Brian Urlacher that says, quote, I don't give a crap about what fans or people say. They can kiss my butt. I don't care. And I got to tell you, I could you not. put that in context, though? I could not agree with him more. Uh, this is in regards yeah. to people giving him crap after. Dapping someone up. Shaking the play. hands of Daniel Manning. For picking off his quarterback. Uh, a, he played with Daniel Manning for, I believe, five years before this. They're probably buddies on and off the field. The guy made a nice play. And I hate the mentality that it seems to exist more in fans than it does in players, this meathead mentality that these players all hate each other. A, it couldn't be further from the truth. After the game, are people pissed that they sit in a circle and pray together? No, nobody says anything about that. Shouldn't they hate each other then too? Like why is it because it happened in the middle of a game? Who cares? This is such a non-issue. These players don't actually hate each other. This isn't back way back in the day when players 
just despised each other and played just because they hated each other and they weren't getting paid. So they just, those days are gone. Get over it. Uh, this is old curmudgeonly people or people that like to use phrases like go to war and they're warriors and that type of thing. It's embarrassing. Uh, stop tweeting Erlacher and calling him out for slapping a guy's hand up. Did, I mean, did he play weaker because of it or anything? No, they played a great defensive game that, that day and, it had nothing to do with the outcome, so give it a rest. It's a stupid, stupid argument. All right, one last thing on this podcast today. It can't be a great week to be walking around at the facilities in St. Louis. I don't know if I've ever seen a team blow an opportunity to get a signature win the way that the Rams did in San Francisco on Sunday. The Rams are 3-5-1 and one after their tie, and by... By not winning, they lost a chance at being 4-5 and five and potentially putting themselves into the mix for the final wildcard spot in the NFC. But you can live with tying the 49ers in San Francisco, except for the way that it happened. First of all, Sam Bradford connected with his wide receiver in the back of the end zone to give his team a three-point lead with just a little over a minute left in the game. Then the Rams' defense didn't let Alex Smith drive down the field and set up a game-tying field goal. They let Kaepernick drive down the field and set up a game-tying field goal, which David Akers easily kicked through for 33 yards away. Then after winning the coin toss in overtime, the very first play from scrimmage, Sam Bradford hooked up with Danny Amendola for an 80-yard play that would have meant first and goal from the three-yard line and a chance to walk off with a game-winning touchdown. Unfortunately, one of their wide receivers was two yards off of the line of scrimmage, causing an illegal formation penalty. Then, the Rams got another chance to win the game after David Akers missed a 41-yard field goal, and actually successfully kicked a 53-yard field goal to win. The only problem is there was a delay game on the field goal. So they had to move back five yards, and instead of kicking it 53 yards, they kicked it 58 yards, and Legatron missed it. In the end, the game ended up a tie, and I, I still can't believe it. St. Louis had so many chances to win that game and couldn't do it. And they got to still be shaking their heads. Spend my days with a woman unkind.